time, we want to just continue in an attitude of worship, and we want to go to the Lord in prayer. So if you would, please bow your, your head with me, your heart with me as we go before God. Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity and privilege in which to assemble on your day, the Lord's day, to call upon your name. Lord, to know that you are true to your word and you change not. And just as the psalmist proclaims, Lord, we proclaim as well that you are Lord. You are God. You are the King forever and ever. There will never come a one or something or anything before you, after you. You stand alone as God. Lord, your word is truth. Your judgments are righteous. Lord, we proclaim and praise you that you are all powerful, yet, Lord, just as the psalmist shares, you concern yourself with us. You are the ever-present God with us, Lord. We know that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that your, your mercies are new this day, this moment. Great, Lord, truly is your faithfulness. We praise you for our Savior, Jesus. Lord, we acknowledge that there is no other way in which to come before you but at the name of our Lord and Savior. For it is Christ who par- carried his cross to Calvary. And upon that cross, he bore our sins. So, Lord, we praise you for Jesus. We praise you, Lord, for this moment in history. At the hill of Calvary, we praise you, Lord, also for the empty tomb. We know our Savior was innocent. We know he was coming out of it. But, Lord, we know the tomb was empty for our sake. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have a blessed hope, that we can look forward to a glorious day, that our hearts desire understanding your word and understanding your gospel would be, Lord, have your own way in me. So, Lord, we come. In the name of Christ, we take time to confess, Lord, our sins. We acknowledge, Lord, that all our sins are against you and you alone, for you are the Holy One. We acknowledge that all our sin is an offense to you. So, Lord, cleanse us. Forgive us for those sins that maybe have been in our thoughts and maybe some of those have manifested to words, maybe even actions. God, we ask that you have mercy upon us, that you would forgive us. We pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us and open our ears, Lord, to hear your word by your Spirit, to open our eyes, Lord, that we would learn what it means to be obedient. God, we ask that your Spirit would be at work in us, making us aware of maybe hidden sins or justified sins. Lord, reveal them in us that we might confess them and repent and grow in our holiness. So, Lord, we plead this day for your mercy in your grace, we plead, Lord, that you would uh, incline your ear to us. We plead, Lord, that you would deliver us from the wicked as the psalmist uh, speaks of those who have no regard of you, that those who say there is no God. Lord, deliver your church from these wicked people. We pray you deliver us from the wicked one. And despite, Lord, the opposition of those, Lord, let us not cower in our profession and our proclamation of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that in all times and all places you are accessible. Just as the psalmist said, you incline your ear. We know, Lord, your promises that when we pray your purpose, as John says, uh, in in your will, Lord, you hear us. So God, we pray that today. We pray that in our own day, that through your church, you would vindicate the orphan and the oppressed. 
Lord, that our eyes would be open to those around us and the opportunities you present to speak your truth. You are the one who strengthens, Lord, our hearts. So we ask, Lord, strengthen us today. And Father, as we come before you, we bring all our requests as well. We first want to pray for your church today. Pray, Lord, for uh, the pastors going into the, the countless pulpits that their heart would be right before you. I ask, God, that you would have mercy upon us and that, Lord, we would have just a desire by your Spirit to proclaim your grace, your mercy, that we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, God, I ask you to be merciful to us and awaken us. Pray that your pulpits would preach Christ and him crucified, that he is the way and the only way that Jesus is true, that he was not just the, the righteous good teacher. He is, in fact, God. We pray, Lord, that we'd have a growing understanding that you are just and you are also the justifier, that you must punish sin for you are holy, and yet you have not lowered that standard. You still desire perfection, but we only find that in Jesus. So, Lord, awaken the pulpits to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would grow in us, and in your church, a desire for your precepts, for your law, for your truth, that we would not deviate from them. So, Lord, awaken us to the hour that is at hand. And let us not, Lord, just go along with the culture, but let us stand against it by your might and by your spirit and for your glory. I pray for us this morning, Lord, our leadership, that this would be our conviction, not just in voice, but, Lord, in our lives. So we ask, God, that you would always continue the good work in us and in this church, that you would be maturing us and growing us to love your word, to grow in holiness, that we might see the wonderful blessings of assurance, the confidence we have in Christ as we grow to love your church and your word and your commands. Lead us that way. I pray, Lord, for the families of this congregation this morning that you would be, uh, Lord, uh, providing and continue to meet our needs Lord, whether it be physical or some type of a financial need, I pray, Lord, that you would be at work. And I ask, God, that through the message today and the singing and all that we do, that we would be once again encouraged, that we would have just an uncompromising conviction that you are God, you are true. I pray, Lord, for our nation in desperate need of your church to rise up and proclaim Christ. I pray for our state. Lord, we pray for our governor who is continuing in his wicked ways. And Lord, making it ever more accessible for the work and act of abortion. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon him the wickedness in which he is pursuing, not only in our state, but in multiple states. So Lord, I pray that your church, once again, would be a voice. Lord, we would proclaim this. His heart is in your hand. We ask God, all those leaders who rule over us, as your word commands us to pray for them, that you would turn their hearts towards what is right, and just. We ask for that. Lord, we pray that over our community and our community leaders. Again, having a heart, Lord, for justice. Lord, we pray for our first responders, those who put their lives, Lord, at stake every day in our community. We ask safety over them. Lord, in our medical field, safety over them. We thank you for your many blessings that we enjoy because of them. We pray for the families of our communities. Or they would be strengthened. We pray for outreach, Lord, that our heart would be that we are not just here to live a life, to gain some, some, uh, some means of living and, and just cruise on into eternity, but Lord, we are here to be warriors for you. 
We are to have a hand on the, on, on the sword of your word. We are to proclaim your truth. So Lord, make us a, a weapon that might be used by you to be a light that shines in darkness. We know, Lord, ever more so, there is a day in which we all stand before you. And it is a dreadful, fearful thing to stand before a vengeful, wrathful God. So Lord, let that motivate us as believers to, pro- to proclaim. If hell must be filled, let us have that heart of Spurgeon. Let them go there with our arms around their legs, begging them, repent and believe on Christ. God, I ask, because you are sovereign, because you are all-powerful, because your word is true, because it does not come back void, I ask, God, that you would grow your kingdom here, that we, Lord, your children, would have impact here. We believe your gospel. We pray that you would honor it, and Lord, work it through us and to others. Lord, we also take a moment to pray over our offering, those prepared to give, that our heart would be a heart of worship and dedication to you. Whether we give, Lord, in the box in the back or online, let our heart and our desire and our giving be an act of worship. All that we are is by your goodness and your grace. Thank you for blessing us. Lord, we pray all this according to your purpose, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This time I'd like to dismiss the children to Children's Church. They can... Head on out. I was going to say cat out. I don't know if that's the right word or not. And cat on out of here. But on the rest of us, if you would take that same Bible that we just read from the Psalms and turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight. Lord willing, we are going to look at verses sixteen through twenty-four. I know you've been thinking we've been going a verse here, a verse there, a couple of verses. Here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse, right? But we're going to look at this, this last portion, and it's my desire that we would get through all the way to, to end of chapter 8, right? Because God is good. So we've come to this moment, and, and what Paul now, is we've been talking about this, the gift of, of giving, right? The grace of giving. And this whole chapter has been about giving, and Paul will continue about God's activity into chapter 9, but... Uh, here, Paul wants to set the tone for those. You know, we've got this collection, and he's, he's given us wonderful instruction. Here's how we do it. Here's the principle of giving right, trusting the Lord's provision. We saw that in verse 15. He's given us directives. He's given us illustrations. Well, now that we have this collection, what are we to do with it, right? How do we go about getting it to Jerusalem? So in this passage, he's going to talk about uh, again, himself a little bit, but more um, of these three men. Um, the accountability, right, that Paul is putting into place. It gives us some wonderful insight. So just as we know in our lives how you give, what you give your money to, what you spend your money on, it demonstrates what's important to you, right? So you can look at your, your banking account and where you spend your money, we would say, hey, that's important. Well, how we go about and definitely giving and the accountability attached to that also, right, demonstrates what's important to us. How you act and, and how you live and, and how you conduct yourselves demonstrates to the world, right or wrong, uh, a judgment of some sort, right? People know you by your deeds. Proverbs 20, verse 11, it is by his deeds 
that a lad distinguishes himself and his conduct uh, if his conduct is pure and right. right? It's not just a lad, a child, right? Some translations, even a child. But it's adults. We know by what you're doing, right? What you do tells us kind of who you are. There was a story of, of Theodore Roosevelt who was on his ranch one day and, and they were out with some cow pokes, which is those who brand cattle, right? And he's had some hired hands out there and they're out on the range and, and he had uh, collected some cattle from a neighbor's ranch. And so as these cowboys had their irons in their fire getting ready to brand these cows, he, he said, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. That's, that should be Lang's, my neighbor. It should be Lang's brand on this cow. That's not mine. Well, his hired hand said, that's all right, boss. And Roosevelt responded, yeah, but you're, you're, you're putting my brand on the cow. And he said, yeah, that's right. So after that statement, Teddy, uh, Theodore Roosevelt simply responded and said, drop that iron. Right? Go back to the, to the ranch house, get off my property. And he concluded that if you are willing to steal for me, you're also a man who will steal from me. And so right there, Roosevelt had summed up who this person was, his actions. And as we'll see in this passage, I'll read it here in a moment, Paul has summed up some, some men for us by their actions. I think it's no accident that we don't know their names other than Titus, but we do know quite a bit about them, and Paul tells us, right? And this is not simply for those who are to give accountability in in the context of giving, making sure these funds, right, they're not tempted by uh, taking some money off the top, so to speak, right? These men uh, have a a dedication and a fame in the gospel and and a conviction of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're marked by the churches as these men. And it's not because of the offering that these men become these men. These men are these men. And I think for us, we need to be, take heart in our own life, whether we deal with finances in the church or not. These should be accountability. These should be character traits growing in us. And so beginning in verse 16, Paul says this, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he is not only, not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you out of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel have spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us, travel with us in this gracious work which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with him our brother, whom... We have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory of Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love 
and of our reason for boasting about you. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, as we look to your word now, I ask, God, that your word would come alive. I pray that your spirit would make the truths, Lord, that we see here um, very evident to us. We, we ask, God, in humility that you would teach us and instruct us, that we would grow and mature, that our, our time this morning would not be just gaining knowledge, but we would be growing in holiness. So, Lord, to that end, we pray this. I ask you to get me out of the way that everyone will receive what you have for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, right, as we give, what we spend our money on tells us, right, it shows us what's important to us and also how we act, right? As we've seen in this, Paul is referencing not only Titus, but two other men. They're known by the churches. They have a testimony as well. We don't know their names, but they have some good biblical character. There is some conviction in these guys. And so we realize that integrity right? Honesty, all the good qualities we see, they're not just spoken, are they? Uh, They are demonstrated. Paul even mentions we've tested them. We've seen this about them. Now, Paul has told the Corinthians over and over again, right? There's this, this, this relationship that has been restored. Titus has gone to them and he's reported to Paul, and man, there has been repentance regarding you, Paul, and their relationship. It's been godly sorrow, not for the sake of sorrow, but the will of God. And so Paul, beginning this letter, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 12, he says these words, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. So Paul, it's important to Paul, right, in this relationship, and we see that tone yet again in dealing with the finances regarding, right, this offering to the church in Jerusalem. So he's going to take some precautions, and even though the relationship is a little bit delicate there, I think for us, we should take these precautions to heart. So it's true, right? Our grace of giving is by faith. We trust in God. We trust in His provision, but our giving should not be by chance. It should not be haphazard. It should be managed, right? We should give with the knowledge of knowing, right? It is given to a secure way. It is given that it will go to the means and ends in which it was intended So Paul has walked us through the last uh, verses, 11 through 15. He's given us the directive for proportionate giving, regardless of your finances, whether you have a lot or a little, your giving, it can glorify the Lord, right? In proportionate. He's given us the directive to reciprocal giving as he talks about uh, the necessity that there might be a day where the Jerusalem church needs to respond to you, right? We share in equality and not equity, right? Which is popular today. Paul has nothing to do with what the critical theory and the, and the intersectionality that is happening that is popular in the universities and our culture and I even, you know, from our government. He says, no, it is not equity, it is equality. Only God truly operates with equity because he alone is just and right in all that he does. And then he gives us this principle, right? Trusting the Lord, grabbing right from the, the story of the man of the Old Testament. He comes right into this and says, all right, here's the giving. Now let's move forward with this. Let's make sure that we have some integrity in place, some accountability in place. Let's make sure, right, that this is, goes to where it belongs. 
Now, Paul definitely, right, uh, is, is above and beyond. He goes above this, right? Precaution, all these things, because he doesn't want to hear, maybe yet again, some accusations from this church that, oh yeah, he's taking this collection, he's keeping it for himself. Paul doesn't want to hear that, yeah, he's got his hand in the till, right? Now, I believe, uh, regardless of the relationship, no pastor should ever have anything to do with the offering. I believe any accusations of a pastor that has to, to operate in those areas, that can wreck a church, it can wreck and ruin a ministry, whether there is a complete integrity there or not. I've heard too many stories being in the ministry of, of pastors doing that and just wrecking things. So here Paul sets some precedent, right? He's setting, here's a tone for how we operate in the church. Even though this is a, a one-time offering to the church in, in uh, Jerusalem, he is setting some standards, right, for how we conduct ourselves and those who give attention to the offering, whether it's every Sunday or whether it's a one-time gift or whatever the Lord might have. So here I have uh, just five things. Look at that. It'll be a short sermon. Just five. And the first one is looking at verses 16 and 17. This, the, those who serve, and I'm speaking to men. That's uh, not, a, not a, uh, an accident. He's addressing men serving and leading in the church, right? And so men need to have a desire to serve. This has to be something in you. Paul just doesn't go grab some guys and say, hey, you're breathing, right? Come on with me. Let's put you into work. Now he notices something about Titus. And he's mentioned that before, and he says it again here in 16 and 7. He says, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. It speaks to the character of Titus. Right? And we see here that uh, true to, to Christians, right? A heart in every single one of us. Because we have received so much and because Christ is the supreme example of our lives, our heart is service. That should be a mark in every single one of us. And so Paul is saying it's just stress here, right? And in this idea of giving. But if you would, just briefly turn to the Gospel of John. I want you to hear the words of Jesus, just so you know I'm not making this up. If you go to John 13. Beginning in verse 12, John says this, right? The story of Jesus washing their feet. He says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Right? What a, what a great question. Do you know what I have done to you? Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. He sets a tone for leadership. He sets a tone for service. 
Right, just so uh, we know that this is not a unique thing to Titus. It should be something growing in us. If we've come to Calvary, a heart of, des- of serving, a desire to serve, should be marked in us. We should have a desire to go, Lord, what are my gifts so I can get going? Right? Paul did not simply draft Titus. Right? I know it's football season. We use that word draft. Right? And of course, that could be any professional sports sign, but he didn't draft him. I mean, Titus is marked out by this. There is a desire in his heart of his own accord. He demonstrates in his life, in his actions, an earnestness. Right? He's, he is a guy who's on mission. I, you know, remember, he's gone. He's taken a difficult letter to the church of Corinth, and they have responded. Right? We weren't sure how they're going to respond. And yet they responded with godly sorrow. So he's ever more so excited about what the Lord is doing. When Paul talks about the grace of God in the Macedonian churches, right? Clearly that has been attached to the Corinthian church. And no doubt Titus has said, I have experienced the grace of God in these churches. I mean, there is a desire about you, but when there is testimony shared about God working in someone's life, you get excited, I would think that. So he has this genuine desire. I've seen God at work. Now, remember, Titus uh, sees the faces, right? We're talking about uh, the church of Corinth. Oh, yeah, there's John and Mark and, and uh, you know, I was going to think of another name uh, right over there. I know those guys. I see their face. Yeah, no, yeah, John, he stubbed his toe. He was limping last time. He's got all those stories, right? I know them. I mean, I think that should be in us as we, as we live our life in, in the context of community, in the church, we know each other. And clearly, they have seen in Titus this heart. Paul is telling them, reminding them, you know Titus, he has this heart. This is who he is. He has his own desire. I didn't have to get behind him and put my knee in his back and say, in Jesus' name, you're going to go serve here. No, he wants to do this. Why? Why does he have a desire? Well, clearly he's been to Calvary, hasn't he? He's come to this moment where he's seen his Savior just like you upon the cross. He's marked by this. So in our church, right, those men who handled the collection must have this desire. Maybe a good question to ask is simply, have you come to Calvary? Have you seen Christ? Have you... You realize that Jesus himself has washed your feet and cleansed you and made you whole, made you pure. Is that the desire? See, that desire, right, that guards and protects. Because now it's no longer about grabbing some type of money or skimming off the top or having my hand in the till or whatever uh, example you may want to use there. Now becomes about a mission. It becomes about, hey, this is the glory of Christ is attached to this. Hey, this is about those, real, those who are really suffering in Jerusalem. And we're going to do something about it. I want to be a part of this. All right, this is Titus's heart. So for us, right, we must see men who have a desire, a spirit-driven desire. Not of their own saying, you know, we don't want those going, you know, I'll serve. Ah, I don't feel like serving, but hey, now in the, in, yeah, in the money, I'll serve there, right? Uh, that should be an indicator. Remember, it's not about, hey, there's a gift, so let's find someone. It's like, hey, here's the earnestness of Titus. He's a good one to go. 
I think too often in, in churches, and I know we, we struggle with this maybe in our own heart, we have a desire to control things, and so sometimes we want to get on the finance committee of sorts in a church and say uh, to others who, who can do what, and, and you can or can't do this, and all these other things. But we must have those who realize, and you'll see this unfold, those who realize why we're here, there's a mission. These are the Lord's funds, they're for the Lord's purpose. So we see, right, something that should be happening in us, a desire to serve that attaches every Christian, but especially those who have uh, the, the ministry or the responsibility, rather, to, to take up the collection, whether that's special offering or Sunday morning. As we go on from there, then the next simple point I have here is, <clears throat> in verse 18, they have to have a gospel passion. And you'll see how these all connect, right? He says in verse 18, we have sent along with him, the brother, All right, here he is, the, bro- the brother, the first of the unknown's brothers, whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread throughout the churches. All right, now, again, we know, and I've said it, and I've prayed it, and we've spoken it, we know the, the, the importance of the gospel. Paul says it well in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Right? Think for a moment that if Christ has not come, right? if he doesn't enter into this world, if he's not born all right, the way in which he was born through a virgin birth and suffering the miseries of this life and fulfilling the law, if he doesn't come, all right, there is absolutely no hope for us. We are left in our sins. And it doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are, uh, the, the standard of perfection is clearly broken. You're not going to make it. Hence, the importance of the gospel. So here we have someone who's gospel-saturated, isn't he? I mean, he is known by the gospel. I mean, wouldn't it be great to be known this way? Here's a brother whose fame in the things of the gospel. Wouldn't it be great to be identified this way? Oh, you know Tyson, he's kind of tall. Yeah, he's an overweight guy. Ah, I would rather, much rather have him. Yeah, he's got a fame in the gospel. How much better is that? Now, you can substitute your own life in there, right? Don't just pick on me. But this is what he's known for. So what do we know? Paul doesn't give us his name, but what does he give us about him? One, we know he's a Christian. Right? He has professed Christ. Here's another gentleman, like Titus, who has gone to Calvary. So we learn right away, right? We have to have a, a genuine profession of faith with anyone handling the funds in the church. Are they, are they passionate about the gospel? Is Christ a way or is he the way? Well, they better be solid on that, right? This brother is acting like he, Christ is it. Christ is the only way. He doesn't care what others think. This, he has a fame in this. The churches see this in him. It's not just a Christian, right? It's not just, hey, I prayed a prayer once. No, we see the outworking of the gospel of Jesus Christ in his life. Paul also points to the fact that he has this wonderful testimony, right? It's seen, it's demonstrated. There are those who acknowledge it. Fame in the gospel. Those who see this testimony, oh, this is how you know them. We also know that it's spread through all the churches, it's not just one church going, hey, we got a guy. Hey, he's a good guy, right? He loves the gospel. And all the churches are saying, no, we got that same guy, right? We know that guy. This is how he's identified. 
There's a dynamic testimony. I always ask the question, right, in your own life, man, are you known this way? Is this a heartbeat of your life? Do you see, right, in the, in the, the command of the Great Commission that Jesus has authority over everything on earth and that he calls us to go to every place? But does Jesus have his lordship over, er- over every area of your life? Too often I think we go, oh, well, come, to, come to church and there's this area and I'll do this and that and I'll live my life the way I want. It's all grace. God doesn't care. Well, clearly he cares. He gives us instruction on how husbands are to act, wives are to act, children are to act, how we treat our funds. Clearly he cares. So in us, is there a gospel passion that drives us? I'm not saying we're going to be perfect, hence the necessity of Christ. But it should be growing in us. I love this quote from George Bernard Shaw. He says this, talking about purpose. And I think he places the gospel in here. He says, This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. I mean, do you recognize the gospel as a, as a mighty truth of God? That God so loved this world, not only did he speak it into creation and took the time to create you, he also took the time to send his son in history to walk on this planet so that you might know him eternally. Are you convinced of it? Does your life demonstrate you're convinced of it? It should saturate our language, our thinking. And clearly this brother is known. He has a fame in the gospel. Well, Paul goes on. Talking about the same brother, verse 19, he has a burden, I say, this is the third point, to glorify the Lord. He says, and not only this, right? Not only does he have a fame in the gospel, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. We see the similarities, the time. We all have this readiness. We all, all these men have this earnestness. The churches are all on the same page. We see this in this brother. He needs to be a part of this, and we're actually going to appoint him. And the word appoint really means it has a, an official uh, attachment to it. There is a moment where they either, you know, to put the, their name in a, in a hat or they took a, raise your hand, right? Something official happened. They have seen this in this brother. We want to appoint him to be a part of this gracious work i mean i think it also shows us just how important ministry something like this really is we may come to this and think well they're just taking a collection right it's just for those who are struggling in jerusalem but these guys right these brothers these churches clearly are not viewing it that way. They took seriously the collection and the application we're going to give. Remember the Macedonian churches? Paul didn't ask them, but they gave even beyond their ability, out of their poverty. Paul turns around and tells the Corinthians, but he doesn't ask that of the Corinthians. His command was finish, finish what you started. See, they, they have a seriousness to the understanding of this gracious 
work. It's being administered for the glory of Christ himself. There's no self-promotion here. This is a work to glorify the Lord. Their actions demonstrate this. The testimony demonstrates this. All right, there's, there's no such thing in their thinking where they're excited right, about a financial report. They're not excited about, hey, there's a special donor in the church. Right? Their drive is all of this is about the glory of God. And that real needs are going to be really met in the name of Christ. And then as we serve in this way, right, Christ will be glorified. I think we learn something about sacred business. You know, too often in our lives, maybe you do this, maybe you don't, I don't know, but uh, we may treat, a, like there's a difference between secular and sacred. Or there's a difference maybe between business and ministry, right? Ministry happens on Sunday for, you know, however long pastor preaches and the songs and so forth. And I know you don't think that. Ministry is, is all the time. But I, don't, I think as believers, if we're going to have this heartbeat, we've got to realize that some of the things we may think are menial are ministry. We may think, hey, this is just a collection. Why did Paul spend so much time on this? He could have wrapped this up in maybe two verses. But he doesn't. I mean, he has spoken quite in depth regarding giving, regarding your thinking, regarding your theology, regarding what you think of Christ and what you think of others. They've spent a lot of time on this. And so I think there's an element where we realize, we must begin to realize that everywhere you go, as a representative of Christ, as a person who is passionate about the gospel, that where you go is ministry is happening. Now I realize that in some of the, the areas in which we work, we cannot speak of Christ, but your actions and your other words, maybe just shy of saying Jesus saves, should be saturated the fact that you're different than the rest of the world. See, in the church, we, we sometimes, we, we, maybe this in our thinking, the elders are tasked to the spiritual side, right? Ministering to those who, who need prayer and those who are, are just going through a difficult time. The deacon, deaconesses are the physical side, right? Ministering to the physical needs, and clearly there's overlap there, but all of it, all of it is sacred business. There's no such thing as, as serving someone, even in the church, or a neighbor and saying, well, that's just a different thing. No, we can do these things unto the glory of the Lord. See, there's a burden that these brothers have. There's a burden these churches have. I think in the Church of America, we've just lost sight of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've lost sight that every moment of every day, you are a representative of him. Right? Where you go, what you see, what you watch, what you hear, these are things right, that you are taking Christ to. And they didn't look upon this as something that says, well, it's just a collection. We can get Mark and Hank and Joe, those guys. They're breathing. See, I think the church needs to kind of wrap their mind around this, right? In our own lives. <clears throat> There's a gentleman by the name of Peter uh, Druckers, if I say that right, it talks about a, a successful mission statement, right? If you're going to write a mission statement, uh, whether for a business or church, he says there's three things you should consider. 
And the first one he says is, look at strength and performance. Right? Do better what you do well if it's the right thing to do. Then he says, number two, look at the opportunities, the needs. Where can you, with limited resources, make a real difference? Right? You see a business model developing here. But the third one is interesting. He says, look at what you really believe. And he goes on to say, I've never seen anything being done well unless people are committed. There's the question, right? Are we committed? These men who serve in this way, they better be committed to the glory of the Lord. Right? That'll keep their hand out of the till. Why? Because everything we do is ministry. For his purpose, it's administered this way. So Paul is unfolding for us, right? There is a desire to serve. There's a gospel passion. There's a burden for the glory of the Lord. In my fourth point here, uh, verses 20 and 22, uh, a trustworthy reputation. And it's really kind of more a trust the Lord reputation, right? He says, uh, taking precaution. If that's not enough of everything he said, now we're taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard... Right? We're thinking about what, what men may say. We have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And here we see another brother. Right, We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. So if it wasn't enough, we're going to take another step and and demonstrate some precautions. Paul is aware, right, how how devastating to the testimony of Christ that there be a scandal regarding someone stealing, right, a Christian professing Christ stealing from the offering. We do this, right? We're clear in how we... Before men, before the Lord, we're going to be on you know, above board. He's told us that in chapter 1, the verse I read earlier. We've conducted ourselves in the world, especially before you. We are consistent. We don't deviate from this. Right? We're trustworthy in this. There is an integrity happening. There's a, a credible testimony. So again, I think some insights, right? There, there must be not one person in charge of the funds. Right? What a... Profound temptation, right? Paul lists multiple people. He comes with multiple people who have a trustworthy reputation, who have a gospel passion, a burden for the glory of the Lord. I mean, in our own giving, we would not operate this way. We don't give to to missionary work or to Christian work with those who are not reputable. When the opportunity arises, we have our, our missionaries come and update us. Hey, here's where your funds are going. Here's the ministry that is happening. We do this all the time, right? We must give to reputable, trustworthy, those who trust in the Lord, right, for their actions and say, hey, this, this is where our confidence comes from in these ministries. There's accountability. There's a reputation of honesty. So to, to make sure that everyone, right, maybe a little bit more sensitive to the Corinthians, that everyone's on board, there's another brother. So what do we know? We don't know his name, but what do we know about him? He is he's a Christian. He's cooperating in the church, the mission of the church. He has a passion for the church. He's demonstrated this. He has conviction. Paul said he is tested and found diligent. 
You know, when I first read that, when I was going through this, this study this week, I just thought, I wonder how they tested him regarding giving. Then I had this moment where I cracked myself up, right? When I'm reading this, I thought, what if they put money in their back pocket, you know, and kind of walked by him and see if he took it or left some money out? And, you know, I know some of you are like, that's just wrong. But he has conviction, right? They tested him. They found him diligent. Hey, we know this guy, right? Not enough to say he's got fame in the gospel. This guy's been tested about the gospel. So he's a Christian. He has conviction. But more importantly, right, he has um, conviction, he has a confidence in the mission. He believes in the church. And Paul tells us, right, at the end of this verse, but now even more diligent because there's great confidence in you. And no doubt Paul has explained Right? The testimony, the grace of God happening in these Macedonian churches. No doubt him and Titus both have talked about what is happening in the Corinthian church. No doubt they're excited. And this brother is excited. I get to go. I get to serve the Lord this way. I get to trust the Lord this way. You know, too often in our own lives, sometimes we just, you know, trusting the Lord seems to be the last thing on the list. It's like the story of the elderly lady whose family is finally giving up on her and saying, you know what, Grandma, you're just, we've done all we can do. You're just going to have to commit this and trust the Lord. And her response is, oh dear, it's come to that. You know. Sometimes trusting the Lord is at the end of the list, but Paul has been hitting that over and over again. The first few verses of this chapter, trust in the Lord, trust in His grace. The principle, trust in His provision. Here it is, trust in the mission of the church. Have a trustworthy reputation. And then my last point this morning, verses 23 and 24, I just say a cooperative disposition. It says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are the messengers of the church, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and our reason for boasting about you. Again, we see that right, a character trait of Titus, he's, he's a team player, right? Paul says he's my partner, fellow worker. He, he beats the same. He's not like you know some committee members, if you've ever experienced this, we have that one committee member who's just their sole desire on being on that committee is to make sure we never have a unanimous vote, right? He's not that guy. I think as we come, right, to looking at finances, understanding, you know, why do we want these kind of people in charge of the finances? Why do we want them involved at all, right? Why do we want some who are gospel-driven with a burden for the glory of Christ? They have a cooperative spirit. Understand the mission. Understand why we're here. Because we, we want those people who say, you know what, these funds are God's funds. They are to be used for what God desires.
too often we may have a tight fist and we want to hold on to things. And yes, there's wisdom in being discerning, absolutely. Sometimes we lose sight. The church is here on a mission. And God's people give to that mission. That's the grace of giving. And we want men sitting on, in those areas, right, desiring that this is why we understand. This is why we're here. We want the gospel to go forward. We want the kingdom to grow. Some of these things require resources. And to that end, right, we want to give. We want to be good stewards. So Paul has given us, right, these directives. I could backtrack through the whole chapter. I won't do that. He's touched on the grace of God. He's, he's given us illustration and testimony. He's given us, right, the understanding of proportionate giving. He's told us about equality and not equity. Uh, he's told us to trust in the Lord. And then he gives us these wonderful truths that not only should be in the lives of the men who are serving in this way, but they should be in the lives of every professing Christian. Are we marked with a desire, right, to serve the Lord in whatever gifts, capacity He places you? Because there is wonderful satisfaction in knowing that the Lord is pleased when you use your gifts for that end. Is there a growing a gospel passion in us? And too often we, we reflect, right, the culture in these things. Well, I won't say anything. I'll just be quiet. I think it's time to say, you know what, I've got a, I've got a gospel that needs to be preached. There's a Savior that you need to know. You know, I was telling the men on Saturday morning, a little sun, you know, 7 o'clock Saturday morning, well, this, this Saturday we won't be meeting, but uh, men, if you're available, not this Saturday, but the following, you're more than welcome. But I was telling them, uh, you know, we're going to be judged. We should expect opposition as we're discussing some of the things out of James. We live in a world that is, that is contrary to the gospel. So if you get judged and you get mocked, man, you're in good company. We want to be able to end our lives. Maybe you can bump knuckles with Paul when you get up there. Hey, I didn't have it as bad as you, brother. But I, I understand a little bit of it. The gospel passion. You're going to get judged. Get judged for what you believe in. Is there a burden for the glory of God in every area of your life? Is he Lord, yes, over his church? Is he Lord, yes, over your family? But what about your life? Is he Lord over what you watch? Where do you go, what you say, what you do? And surrender it, right? Repent of it. Is there a trust the Lord? Is there a trustworthy reputation in you? God's got this. He's sovereign. I'm going to stand here. When I know nothing else to do, I'm going to stand. I trust him. Do you cooperate with the mission of the church? It doesn't mean go along if the church is going off the rails, right? You should be a voice and saying, ah, I understand what the church is supposed to be doing. Understand what the Word of God says. Understand the pastor. You better have your Bible open and teach you right, or you're going to hear from me. Cooperate because it matters. All of this matters. Giving matters. The ministry to other saints and believers, it matters. And in these things that we might think are menial, God is glorified. Because the church is following His Word and doing it unto Him. Here in a moment, we're going to close with. Uh, the song close to thee and it's in our hymnal this one is 
Uh, if you'd like to grab your hymnal, it's 365. But I just want to read the first stanza. And I encourage you to sing this, that, that if we're going to live this way, right? So if we're going to have these things developing in us, whether it's in the context of serving and giving or just being a light in a dark world, that your life better be close to Christ. And the first stanza says, Thou my everlasting portion, more than friend or life to me, right? Because we have that burden. We've come to Calvary. All along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with Thee. So I encourage you as we sing this as our doxology that your, your heart would beat here. Lord, let me walk close to Thee. If through this message you have found areas, right, that you go, oh, I need work here. Then through this song, ask the Lord, help me. In this area, Lord, I am not walking close to You. And these things that I have been watching or reading or partaking in, I have not been walking close to you. Then through this, through this song, through this doxology, repent and ask God to be near you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the privilege and opportunity to assemble in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to call upon his great name, to know that you hear us and receive us because of him, because of what he has done nothing in us. Lord, we thank you for the good work you've begun and your word challenges us. It challenges me, Father, in these areas to grow in a desire, Lord, to serve, to grow in a passion of your gospel in every area of my life, to grow, Lord, with a burden to glorify you in the big things, little things, but in everything. Lord, that my reputation would reflect those who trust in the Lord, that we believe in your mission, Lord, that I would cooperate with those redeemed, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And my heart would be here. And Lord, I also know for those things that happen, I have to be close to you. So Lord, I ask that you would protect us, protect this church from scandals that pertain to giving or any of those things. Let there be men, Lord, who serve in this capacity, who marked or marked by this, who understand that this work is a grace of God. It is to be administered as, as messengers of God, as Paul refers to those brothers. Let it be in us. Let us be those marked by this. Let us be those marked that we are close to thee. There's something different because Christians think differently. So Lord, in our giving, what we give to, let us be aware of it. And how we live, Lord, and how we conduct ourselves, let us take to heart what we're demonstrating, what we're showing to a world, what we believe. Lord, lead us that way. And I pray this in the wonderful, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have questions regarding the sermon this morning, what it means to, to follow uh, or to know Christ, to follow after Christ, I'd love to meet with you. Um, I can stick around for a little bit. My wife and I have to... Uh, leave and get going to Stockton. I have the honor and privilege of officiating uh, Rebecca, Dave and Rebecca's wedding today. So um, if I'm gone before I get to talk with you, just know that uh, we can meet, right? I have uh, an email. I have a cell phone. I have all those wonderful things. Uh, but that's, uh, please reach out to me if there's a way I can help you. Um, we're going to sing this. I encourage you to sing it. Desire it, right? The Lord will be close to us. So if you would stand with us as we sing close to these or...